0: Let's talk about the book of Exodus. Now you're probably familiar with this book because of the epic story of Moses leading Israel out of slavery from Egypt. Yeah but that's just the first half of the book. The second half has Moses giving the Ten Commandments to Israel along with these blueprints for making a sacred tent. Now right here in the middle is the story that connects these two halves together and it all takes place at the foot of a famous mountain. Okay so let's start Back at the beginning. So the first thing we have to remember is we're continuing the story from Genesis. Yeah, in Genesis, God promised Abraham that through his family, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And Genesis ends with Abraham's family down in Egypt. When Exodus begins, 400 years have passed. The family grows and becomes the people group now called Israel. But there's this huge problem because the Israelites are enslaved to this king of the Egyptians, a guy called Pharaoh. This guy is really bad news. Yeah, he's horrible. He, he disregards their humanity. He brutally enslaves them. And he even orders that all of the Israelites' sons should be killed by throwing them into the Nile River. He wants to wipe these people out. He's the worst character in the Bible so far. Here's where we meet an Israelite woman who wants to save her son. And so she does throw him in the river, but safely in this little reed basket. And Pharaoh's daughter finds this baby and takes him as her own. And this is the boy who grows up to become Moses, the man who will rescue Israel from slavery. So Moses grows up, and one day, much later in his life, he has this crazy encounter with God where he comes across a bush that's on fire, but it isn't actually burning up. And God speaks from the bush, and he appoints Moses as the man he will use to deliver Israel. So Moses goes to Pharaoh to tell him this this news that God wants his people free. And Pharaoh, he just pretty much laughs at him. He's like, who's this God, Yahweh? And in fact, he's so offended by this request, he decides to make the Israelites work even harder. So discouraged, Moses goes back to God and says, listen, this plan's not gonna work. But God repeats his promise that he's going to rescue them. And in fact, it's right here For the first time in the bible that we hear the word redemption it literally just means to purchase a slave's freedom but god here uses this word to describe what he's going to do for enslaved israel
1: awesome welcome back to the book of exodus this is week five and today we're talking about when things get worse when things get worse we're going to see moses and aaron sent by god to speak to pharaoh Tell them to let God's people go, and things do not go well. Things do not go according to plan. In fact, things get worse. They obey God. Thanks, Josh. They obey God, and things actually get worse at first. Has that ever happened to anybody here where you feel led to obey God? You feel led to step into a situation. You feel led to start praying for a situation. You feel led to help with a situation, And it doesn't go well. In fact, it can go worse. Anybody? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe you try to help two friends reconcile a relationship, bring restoration. And not only do they get more mad at each other as a result of your efforts, but they turn on you as well. Huh? Yeah. Maybe you feel led to start praying for somebody's uh, chronic illness. And you're like, hey, God can heal that. And you start praying for them, and their symptoms get worse. You're like, oh, shoot, did I do that? Did I just make it worse for that person? I've known people who have gotten baptized. They, they make a decision, I'm going to trust in Jesus. This is great. And then all of a sudden, their old temptations start to flare up. Things get harder for them at first. Maybe you've been there. Maybe that's you right now where you, you started coming back to church. I feel like God's drawing me back to church, and you start coming back, and all these things start piling on you, and you're like, what's going on? I'm trying to put God first in my life, and things are getting harder. Anybody? Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're going to talk about why that sometimes happens, what God's role is when that happens, what our role is when that happens. And we're going to do that by looking at Exodus chapter five, verse one, and we're going to go until six, verse twelve—a huge section of scripture, a chapter and a half. We're not covering every verse, just so you know. Um, you will cover that in your reading this week if you're doing the reading or covering every verse. Um, in fact, by the way, little little timeout for the reading this week. There's going to be extra short little comment commentary video commentary to go with each day's reading. That's kind of my, I'm going to just throw that out on on the website, just to help stir you, get you thinking a little bit, uh, see if it helps. Uh, For those of you doing the reading, you can jump into the reading if you haven't been doing it. But today's message for this section of, of scripture is going to be broken up into six parts, almost like six chapters, six sections. I'm going to have a title, I'm going to read the passage, talk about it, and then I'm going to make a point. So each section will have a point, so six points, okay? So if you're, if, you're, if you're somebody who likes to take notes, take notes. If you're not somebody who likes to take notes, you can take notes too. Uh, take a photo of the thing, because I want you to remember some of this. This is important, I, I think. Otherwise, I wouldn't be preaching on it. All right, part one. Let's jump right into it. Here we go. Part one. Things don't go well. That's what we're going to see. Things don't go well. Exodus 5, verse 1. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said... This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Let my people go so that they may hold a festival to me in the wilderness. Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I don't know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. Who is the Lord? Remember, the Lord is a proper name for God. Yahweh is where it comes from. So Pharaoh, first of all, in Egypt, they had many gods. Pharaoh's like, I don't know Yahweh. Yahweh's not one of our gods. And secondly, the Egyptians saw the Pharaohs as being equal to God. So Pharaoh, in other words, saw himself as equal to God, and therefore the slaves were his people. So he's like, I don't know of your Yahweh. These people are certainly not his people. They're my people. So no, I ain't going to let them go. Verse three, then Moses and Aaron said, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Now let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God, or he may strike us with plagues or with the sword. Verse four, but the king of Egypt said, Moses and Aaron, why are you taking the people away from their labor? Get back to your work. Then Pharaoh said, look, the people of the land are now numerous and you are stopping them from working. So Pharaoh says, listen, you're, you're wasting our time. You're wasting my time, you're wasting your own time, you're wasting their time. They got work to do. So in other words, what Moses and Aaron request falls on deaf ears. It doesn't go well. It doesn't go according to plan. Pharaoh doesn't say, oh, yes, of course, we're going to let them go. So point number one, sometimes our obedience does not produce the results that we want to see. Okay, make sure you write that down. You're going to obey God at times in your life, and it will not go well. Put that in your head, okay? little heads up, little encouraging word for this morning. Sometimes you will obey God, you will step into something, you will feel like God is sending you to be a spokesperson into something, and it will feel like it's falling on deaf ears. You may try to confront a loved one about their addiction, and they refuse to to listen. You may decide to give your money to a mission endeavor at a time when you are financially unstable and you are believing that you're going to get a promotion as a result of it and you do not get that promotion. Things will not go the way that you were praying that they would go. When I first moved to... I grew up in Jersey, spent some time in LA. When I first moved back to New Jersey to help start a church in 2009 uh, with Pastor Jeff, he was starting a church in Ocean Township. It wasn't True Life. It was a church... Before True Life, when I first came back with him, I was excited. I saw us as being a team that was being sent by God to basically declare, let my people go. Like there are people in bondage. There are people who have strongholds. They're being, they're, they're being held back spiritually, and Jesus wants to free them. And I saw us as being a team to declare, let my people go. God wants freedom for you in Jesus. But it wasn't going well. The, the ground seemed very hard. People seemed unresponsive. I had been to more funerals in the first six months of being back in New Jersey than the previous 10 years combined. It it seemed like the strongholds of addiction and mental illness were so strong on people that I was saying, God wants freedom for you. And it was like the pharaohs, if you will, of mental illness and addiction in particular were staring back at me going, I don't know your God. These are my people and I will not let them go. That's what it felt like. I remember walking around the neighborhood going, what did I do? Is this God? Did God really send me back here to help start a church? What the heck was I thinking? It's cold back here? I forgot how cold it was. Like, it was just dreary spiritually, dreary weather. Everything was just dreary. And I was wondering, I don't know if I heard from God correctly. I have to wonder if Moses felt like that after this encounter. Did I hear from God? Was that really a burning bush? Was I seeing things? Did I hear from him correctly? Part two. Things get worse. Things didn't go well in part one. And now they're going to get worse. Verse six. That same day, Pharaoh gave this order to the slave drivers and overseers in charge of the people. You are no longer to supply the people with straw for making bricks. Let them go and gather their own straw. But require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. They are lazy. That is why they were crying out, please let us go make sacrifices to our God. Make the work harder for the people so they keep working and pay no attention to lies. That's so how I see Pharaoh responding. He's mocking them. They want to go out and make these sacrifices. They got too much time on their hands. Too much time to sit around and think about being victims and being oppressed and yada, yada, yada. We got to give them more things to do. Let's have them provide for their own straw. See, previously the Egyptians were providing the straw. The straw was a binder for the bricks. It was, as Nick Peterson told me, it's an aggregate, kind of make it bind together. It also gave it like an, an acidic quality to it. So they needed straw, but the Egyptians were providing the straw so that the Israelites could meet their quota of bricks. And now Pharaoh is saying, no, 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 don't even give them the straw. they got to go out and find their own straw, but they also still have to meet the same quota of bricks. It would be like a used car salesman being told, you have to hit the same amount of sales each month, but you also have to do the repairs of the cars coming in. You'd fix the cars. And if you don't, have, you don't know how to fix it, go, go back to the school on your own time and figure out how to do that and you know what i mean or maybe a teacher who, who not only are you to teach the kids all day grade papers all night deal with disgruntled parents 24 7 but now you're also to provide maintenance for the school building and fix the toilets and and, and you know go around making sure every teacher has their supplies it's like adding to the work it's already hard work and they're adding to it well it's 100 times more for these hebrews they're slaves their life was agonizing and now pharaoh was making it worse Because of Moses' request, they're making it harder. That's point number two. Sometimes our obedience is not just unfruitful at first, but actually seems to make things worse. As I indicated earlier at the opening of this sermon. Sometimes our obedience is like firing shots into enemy territory. And all of a sudden, we're just just waking up a sleeping lion. They're shooting back now. It's like knocking down a bee's nest in the back of your shed, and all of a sudden, you've just woken up this this swarm of uh, angry bees who come looking for their invader, right? That's what it feels like sometimes when we step out in obedience, when we step out in prayer, when we feel like God's leading us, when we feel like God's directing us, God's pulling us, and we're like, I want to listen. I want to be faithful. I want to follow through on this. But things get worse sometimes. You confront that loved one about their addiction, and not only do they not listen, but they go even more off the rails. You ever been there? You start working on your marriage, you start to decide to own your part in the marriage, and not only does your spouse not own their part, but they seem to get even more hard hearted. You decide to share your faith good news. It seems so natural. You're at work and your coworker, you're building this relationship and there's this opportunity. It seems so natural to bring up your faith and share about this awesome Jesus that you know. And not only do they seem uninterested, but it seems like you've just pushed them away. And all of a sudden you just unravel this, this friendship that you've been building. And if you were wondering before, what the heck? Now you're even more wondering, what the heck? I just made things worse. Why did I step into that? God, how could you allow that to get worse? I thought you were leading me. I thought you were directing me. Did I not hear from you? Ever been there? Anybody have been there recently? Just curious. just like in the last couple weeks. You can put your hand up. Okay, just, just curious. Just curious. just curious. If we were wondering what the heck before, now we might be even saying things like, man, no good deed goes unpunished. (laughs) Why did I get involved? Why did I step into that? You guys writing down these notes? This is going to happen sometimes. Don't want you to be shocked when it does. Part three, the Hebrews react to things getting worse. Excuse me. Okay, the Hebrews react. So we're going to skip a few verses, but the Hebrew overseers find out that things are getting worse. And they go to Pharaoh. They're like, wait, we got to collect our own straw? Doesn't make any sense. And Pharaoh responds by saying, go talk to your boy Moses over there. He's the one who's making it worse. So jumping down to verse 20 of Exodus chapter 5, when they left Pharaoh, they found Moses and Aaron waiting to meet them. And they said, may the Lord look on you and judge you. You have made us obnoxious to Pharaoh and his officials and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. So they go out, finding out things have gotten worse. And instead of blaming Pharaoh, they blame Moses and Aaron for things getting worse. You see that? They're blaming Moses and Aaron. You have made us obnoxious to Pharaoh. You. At the root of their blaming is this lack of belief that God must still be in this. Things have gotten worse. Therefore, God must not have sent you. God must not be at work here. You guys must be speaking on your own. You've made it worse. It's your fault. So point number three. Sometimes when you obey God, things will get worse, and you will be blamed for things getting worse. I'm just giving you more and more good news this morning. Sometimes it won't go well, sometimes it'll get worse, and sometimes you will actually get blamed for things getting worse. Maybe you have done that intervention with that family member. confronted them on the addiction. Not only did they refuse to listen, not only did they go more off the rails, but now they're dealing with the consequences of going more off the rails and they're blaming you for pushing them away. I had somebody a few years ago tell me that because of me, they're questioning their faith in God. I was like, whoa, I didn't know I had the power to do that. Gosh, did I hear from you, God? Did I say the right thing? I've encouraged people to confront friends who they've been hurt by. They, you know, Conflict happens, offense happens. Hey, go talk to so-and-so. Well, I don't think it's going to go well. You never know what God can do. Go confront. The Bible says go confront. Go confront. Let's see what happens. It doesn't go well. I knew it, Pastor Chris. I knew I shouldn't have done that. Ah, darn it. This past summer, I preached a few weeks on racial reconciliation and, and, and what the Bible says about that. And we did some podcasts on it. And there were a few people who indicated, either by implying it or explicitly saying, that I was making it worse. <laughs> and in the short term, I was. I could see how well, they were right. This sometimes... Happens. We feel like God's leading us. We feel like we're stepping into something that God is directing us to. Maybe you're the one with the chronic illness, and you, start, you feel like you've learned to be content or something, and you're like, wait a second. No, God's a healer, and I want to start asking for prayer and declaring God's healing over this. And, and, and you start praying for it, and you have friends start praying for it, and your symptoms get worse. And you're like, wait a second. Did I just make it worse? Did I just... Sometimes this will happen, and that's all I got to say about that, (laughs) to quote Forrest Gump. Part four, Moses responds to the Hebrews complaining. Verse 22, then Moses turned to the Lord and said, O Lord... Why have you done evil to this people? So Moses is getting blamed, right, by the people. And now he turns around to God and is like, this is your fault, God. Why have you done? He says to God, why have you done evil to this people? Do you see that, verse 22? Why have you done evil to this people? And then he says, why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, I'm doing this for you. He has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. You sent me. I'm speaking for you. I didn't want to get mixed up in this mess. I was perfectly content in Midian. My family was, we are fine. You sent me here. Things have gotten worse. People are blaming me. They're seeing me as untrustworthy. And you're not delivering on your promise. So, in other words, Moses is looking at the circumstances as if the circumstances have the final say. As if the circumstances that he sees have the final say on who God is and on what God will do or can do. That's what's happening here with Moses. So, point number four is this disappointment reveals how much pride is in our hearts. Things don't go well. Things get worse. Sometimes we get blamed. We get disappointed. We get discouraged. And what comes out of us reveals how much pride, arrogance, self-reliance there is in our hearts. Lack of trust in God. How fickle our faith is. I remember a few years ago. Going back four or five years, I was having a, a day as a pastor. I was feeling frustrated would be an understatement. I was feeling overwhelmed with the amount of difficulties in our church at the time. This was like 2016, 2017. There was, there was offenses between people. There was a disunity. I was hearing a lot of people come to me to complain about somebody else in the church. I would encourage them to go talk to them directly. They didn't want to do it often. Um, So I was discouraged. And I was walking around my neighborhood, and I was praying about this. I was talking to God about this. But what I was really doing was complaining to God about this. I was complaining to God about the complainers in my life. (laughs) I was complaining and grumbling to God about the complaining and grumbling happening in our church community. And I was walking around the neighborhood, and I can't believe this, and I was doubting my calling. I was like, God, maybe I shouldn't be a pastor. This is too hard. These people don't even listen anyway. I was having a moment, and I didn't realize the irony in the fact that I was complaining to God about people in our church who were complaining, right? And then finally, God shook me up. A song came on my, uh, whatever I was using, my phone, I guess. A song that I was listening to, Oh, praise the name of the Lord our God. It's a story of Jesus is just dying for us and rising again for us. And it was as if God said to me through that song, I died for these people you're complaining about, and I want you to die for them too. And that hit me in a way that it hadn't hit me before. You know, I understood that in my head, but in my heart, I needed to get pounded with it, and I did that day where God shook me up shook me out of my grumbling and complaining because underneath that grumbling and complaining was a lack of belief and a lack of trust that God was still on the throne and that he was still at work in our church even despite the disunity and the offenses and the complaining that was going on. I wasn't believing that he was at work. I was looking at the circumstances going, well, see, God, you must not be at work here. I must not be called here. And God shook me up, and since that day, I never got to. I haven't gotten to that point since that low kind of point, difficult days, sure. But, but I've had such a, this greater level of gratitude, number one, for our church and the awesome church that God has here. It's a great church. You, this is a great church. Yes, we complain and grumble sometimes about each other. <laughs> still a great church, and I'm grateful for it. And I'm a bad pastor sometimes, and yet I still feel called to be a pastor here, whether you like it or not. Since that day, but God had to confront me with my, my grumbling. He had to confront me in my lack of trust in him. He had to confront me about how I was looking at the circumstances to determine whether or not he was at work here and whether or not he had sent me. So I, listen, here's what I'm advocating for. You come to God in prayer with what's on your heart. You come to him honestly. You, you got grumbles in your heart? You come to him with that. You got complaining in your heart? Yeah, he can handle it. However, that said, that doesn't mean the grumbles and complaining and the heart posture that you have is right and doesn't need to be addressed by God. He might need to give you a a, a whack like he needed to give me a whack that day. Shake me out of that. So, don't hear me say, oh, you shouldn't complain to God and grumble to God. No, no, no. Listen, you got that in your heart. You bring that to Him. He wants an honest relationship. He don't want you pretending. He doesn't want that religious facade nonsense. You come to Him with that. But also be willing to confess, you know what, God, I'm realizing, yeah. This is wrong. I'm blaming you for evil like Moses did. I'm blaming you for this situation. I'm not trusting that you're at work in this because I'm just fixing my eyes on the circumstances and the people around me instead of looking to you and who you are and what you've done. I'm sorry. Disappointment reveals how much pride is in our hearts. Those of you who have gone through disappointment re- recently, have, have, you, have you recognized what, it's, what it leads you to believe about God? Can you identify that? That's key, I think. When you face disappointment and discouragement, you recognize, what am I believing about God as a result of this? I'm single and I don't wanna be single anymore. Well, what am I choosing to believe about God? That he doesn't care? That he's got a plan for all these other people, but not me? You step out to give to that mission and not only did you not get the promotion, but you got laid off. And now you're, now you're feeling something, what is it that you're feeling? What, what's the lie underneath it? Is it that God must not be in control? Or maybe he's in control, but he's just not good. Or maybe he's in control and he's good, but he's not good to you in particular because you've screwed up too much in your life and he's punishing you. Maybe that's the lie you're choosing to believe, that you have outsinned God's grace, that you... You're that sinner that, you know, Jesus died for everybody else, but you, you did one too many bad things. Maybe that's the lie you're choosing to hold on to, but identify it. Maybe you've been hurt by somebody recently. Maybe somebody seems to be getting away with something that you're like, no, justice needs to be done here. And, and what, it's, what it's bringing out of you is this feeling that that's taken God by surprise, that God's like, oh, shoot. I didn't see that one coming. I don't know how, what we're gonna do about that. You might not articulate that, you may not consciously say it, but if that's the feeling inside of you, I think it's helpful to identify it because that's what you can bring to God. God, here's where I'm having trouble trusting you. Disappointment reveals how much pride is in our hearts. That's part four. Part five, God responds to the complaining. God's going to speak now. So now we're getting into chapter six. I'm going to read big chunks of scripture here, so follow along. There's a reason for this. Chapter six, verse one. The Lord said to Moses, now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. You spoke. He didn't listen. Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand, he will send them out. And with a strong hand, he will drive them out of his land. God's like, listen, relax. Watch what I'm going to do, Moses. Watch what I'm going to do. Verse 2, God also said to Moses, I'm the Lord, Yahweh. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them fully. That's a sermon for another day. Verse 4, I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan where they resided as foreigners. So God reminds Moses of who he is. I'm Yahweh. I made the covenant with Abraham to form a family through him, to form a nation through him. And look, there's millions of you. I'm, I'm a God who keeps my promise. I'm at work. Don't you see? And then, moreover, verse 5, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I have remembered my covenant. I haven't given up. Verse 6, say therefore to the people of Israel. So go back, Moses. Go say this to them. I'm the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I'm a God who keeps my promise. I will save them. I will rescue them. I will redeem. First time that word is used, redeem. I will purchase them back. I will buy them back. They're my people, and I will buy them back from slavery. Verse 7, I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession I am the Lord. I am the Lord. Sometimes he said that. I am the Lord. I'm Yahweh. Don't forget who I am. Don't forget who I am. Don't look at your circumstances and determine who I am based on your circumstances. Look at who I am and then determine what you're going to believe about the circumstances based on who I am. I'm the Lord. I kept my promise to Abraham. I'm going to keep my promise. I'm going to keep working that story. I've got this. Don't look at your difficulties and think that I'm not still on the throne. I am. So point number five is this. What we see does not change who God is. And he's faithful to remind us of that. Who needs a reminder that God is faithful? Who needs a reminder that he is who he said he is today? What we see does not change who God is. True life. Again, I want to ask you, if you've been battling disappointment, if you've been battling discouragement, have you been able to identify what lie you are choosing to believe about God? That he's not in control, that he's not good, that he's punishing you somehow? That he can't work this thing out for good. That somebody else caught him by surprise. That he's not just. That he's not going to bring all things out to the light. That you have to do it, right? How Maybe sometimes our response and our behavior indicates what we're really believing. If we're running away and hiding and we're maybe using substances and uh, jumping into, uh, you know, pain medications or, 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 or uh, escaping in any kind of way, that's an indicator of what we're believing about God. If we're choosing to do the other extreme, which is to, I got to control this. I got to try to fix this. God's not handling this. I better do it. It's an indicator of the lie that we're believing about God. You know, God, here's the good news. God is faithful to remind us of who he is. Just like Moses needed a reminder, and God sent Moses to tell the people who he is. We need reminders, and God is faithful to remind us of who he is. And he uses all kinds of things. He'll speak to us directly like he did Moses. If we allow him to in prayer, we go to him in prayer, read the scripture. I'll admit, sometimes I'm reading the Bible in the morning, I'm like, God, I don't see anything here. Nothing's popping to me. And I'll ask him, Lord, let me try this again. Can you speak to me? Can you remind me of who you are when I'm about to read this? And so often something will pop out. Something will jump out. Prayer and reading the Bible will go hand in hand. You need them to go together. God, help me. I don't just want to read this and my eyes glaze over. Speak to me. I need to hear from you. I need to be reminded of who you are. Sometimes it comes in the form of another person. Like God sent Moses, sometimes God sent somebody else into our life, somebody in our life group perhaps. So maybe a conversation happens on a Sunday morning, and it's just a timely conversation. Maybe a text from a friend at just the right time reminds us, God, yeah, that's right, that's right, that's right. you got this. You're in control. This is what gathering on Sunday morning is supposed to be about. We are celebrating the fact that God took the worst thing in human history, the crucifixion of His Son, on this really bad Friday, and He flipped it around and turned it into a really good Friday because that's Messiah, that Savior, rose from the dead came out of the grave proving that that death paid for something. It took the curse of this world. It took our sins, and he offers us resurrection life as a result of it. That's what we gather to celebrate on Sunday morning together, that no matter what we're feeling, no matter what's happened this week, something happened in human history that cannot be taken away. Our God Rob the grave, as one song we sing puts it. Yeah. So we rem- we're reminded of that on Sunday, and it's why we're going to receive communion in a few moments. Communion, it, it, Jesus told us, do this in remembrance of me. Remembrance that I died for you. Remembrance that I rose again for you. And remembrance that I'm coming back for you to rescue you from the presence of sin and evil fully. Just like God said to Moses, this is who I am, this is what I've done, and this is what I will do. That's what communion's about. This is who I am, this is what I've done, and this is what I will do. So God is faithful to remind us. God is faithful to remind us. Part six Moses and the people respond to God's reminder. So God sends Moses, gives the people a reminder about God's faithfulness, and, and, and here's how it ends. Everybody is filled with such encouragement. The people of Israel, they, they take out their tambourines, and they start singing and praising God, saying, yes, that's right. We trust in God again. He's going to rescue, rescue us. We have full confidence of that. Who are we to doubt? Shame on us for doubting. And they sing Waymaker together. And they leave, and they're all hugging and high-fiving each other. That's not how it goes. (laughs) Verse 9, Moses spoke to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirits and harsh slavery. It couldn't sink in. That big passage I just read about God saying, this is what I'm going to do. Moses presumably spoke that to the people, and they're like, yeah, no, nah, I don't think it's going to happen. Because of their broken spirits and harsh slavery, they're, they were too emotionally paralyzed. They were stuck. They were stuck just, no, we can't. We can't hope. We can't believe that. We hear it, but it just sounds like wah, wah, wah. doesn't pierce our hearts. Sorry, Moses. Can't believe it. Can't cling to it. And then Moses... Verse 10, the Lord said to Moses, go in, tell the Pharaoh, king of Egypt, let the people of Israel go out of the land. But Moses said to the Lord, behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I am of uncircumcised lips. So Moses is arguing back with God. God, I hear everything you just said, but you know what I'm really paying attention to? How the people are responding. They didn't really respond favorably, so I'm going to use that as my barometer to determine whether or not this whole plan of yours is going to work. You see that? God gave Moses this big spiel, and Moses is like, I hear ya, God, but what I'm really paying attention to is the people and their emotions, and their emotions tell, tell me this ain't going to work, and I would rather pay attention to their emotions right now than to you. So now, uh, let's, let's, not, let's not do this. Let, no, don't send me in. Like that, that's, that's where Moses is at. Isn't that pathetic? And also encouraging. It's encouraging because we can be just as pathetic, can't we? Can anybody admit that you can be just as pathetic in your response to God? And that, that's point number six. Despite God's faithfulness, we are often pathetic. But God is still faithful. Faithful. Because guess what, guess what happens? I'm going to tell you a little bit. God's going to actually do what he says he's going to do. He's going to rescue Israel out of Egypt. We're going to see that. He's going to free them from slavery. He's going to do it. And he's going to use Moses to do it. Despite this moment that Moses has having of being this pathetic, doubting Thomas. The first doubting Thomas was a doubting Moses. <laughs> he said, no, I, I just don't see it. The people are they are upset with me, so I'm just going to go with the people. I'm going to join the people in having this pathetic attitude, this, this down, broken spirit. But God is still faithful. He's still going to do what he said he's going to do. That should give us such hope that our emotions don't lead God to go, well, then I'm giving up on you guys. You're going to doubt me like that? Fine. Then I'm out. You're going to doubt my words, my promises? I'm done coming after you. I'm done pursuing you. I can only take so much rejection. No, that's not our God. Thank God that's not our God. Praise God he keeps coming after us. He keeps pursuing us. He keeps loving us. Despite our fickle, pathetic emotions. That is good news. He keeps showing us that he will take the worst of circumstances and flipping them on their head, surprising us. You know, if, if Moses was able to convince Pharaoh right off the bat to let the people go, if Moses went in there and said, hey, God wants the people to go, and Pharaoh was like, all right, if you say so, be free. If that happened, it's likely, I'm speculating, but it's likely that people would have been praising Moses putting their hope in Moses, right? And then when Moses died, then what? They'd be lost. God needed to bring greater glory to himself and and help the people have greater rest in him by letting things get worse first so that he could stretch out his arm and do the signs and wonders we're gonna see him do in the coming weeks and show that, no, no, I'm God, I'm Yahweh, Moses ain't. Moses is being obedient, but he doesn't have the power to fix this. I have stepped into situations where now when I look back, I can see that, yes, there was an, a spiritual enemy, Satan, who made things worse at first. I didn't have the power to fix the situation. I tried. I stepped into it. I seemed to make things worse. But looking back, I see, well, thank God that that happened because people could see then that I didn't get credit. God did. God got a hold of a human heart when nobody else could. God did that. It wasn't a counselor. It wasn't a pastor. It wasn't, it wasn't X, Y, and Z. It was God who did it in the end, and he can get the glory for it. Now, sometimes we have trouble believing that, but that doesn't, that doesn't change the fact that it's true. It doesn't change the fact that he's still faithful. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to call up the band, and we're going to prepare to receive communion. Come on up, you guys. Why don't don't all of us stand? Don't open the communion elements just yet. Here's, just to kind of summarize, tie this all together for a moment. So God rescues the people of Israel out of Egypt. He sets them up as this nation His promise continues to be through you. The entire world is meant to be blessed, restored to shalom, restored to relationship with me. But the way that happens is because through the people of Israel comes the Messiah, Jesus the Christ, the Savior, the Savior for the whole world. He's the Jewish Messiah, but he's the Savior for the entire world. And it's through Jesus that all peoples... Can come into relationship with God, can enter shalom that God wants for us all through trusting in Jesus' sacrifice. Jesus was the ultimate Moses, the more perfect Moses, who went into the ultimate Egypt, down into death, down into the grave, to do battle with the ultimate Pharaoh, Satan, the devil, the accuser, to free you and I from the ultimate slavery, sin and death. And to lead us into the ultimate promised land, resurrection life. That's what we remember with communion. And it happened because he gave his body and he shed his blood. And if you haven't trusted in that yet, if you haven't given your life to that Savior yet, I want to urge you to do that today. Make today a day where you decide, I'm I'm trusting in him. Jesus said to his disciples at the Last Supper in John 16, 33, before before he died, he said, I have said these things to you. He was warning them about trouble to come, that in me you may have peace. In me. In me you may have peace. Not your circumstances. In me. Because in the world you're going to have tribulation. But take heart. I have overcome the world. You're going to have tribulations. trial's coming. Pain's coming. Problems are coming. Just being human is hard. Amen? Just being a human is hard. But there's going to be added difficulties because you're a follower of me. Persecution from other human beings, and you're going to have a target on your back spiritually because of that Satan, that enemy, coming after you in different ways. I want you to be aware of that, Jesus says. I want you to know trouble's coming. But I want you to take heart. You know what that means? You know what that phrasing means? Be encouraged or be filled with courage. Which is the opposite of what? Being filled with fear? Being filled with despair? Being filled with discouragement? No, 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 no. Be filled with courage. Be filled with it. In me, you can have peace. Why? Because I've overcome the world. Something happened in real history, in real time and space. This isn't fluffy, you know, unicorn in a cloud type of stuff. This is something that happened in real human history. I died and I rose again in a body, physically. I showed you that everything the world can throw at you can be overcome in me. In me, you have resurrection life. In me, you have overcome the world because I overcame the world. You can trust me. What that means is that anything that you're going through, any circumstance that doesn't make sense, that's confusing, discouraging, frustrates the heck out of you, is going to be used for my glory and your good. Because if I could make that bad Friday good, I can turn what you're going through around. Nothing, you ain't going through nothing compared to what happened on that Friday when God the Son was crucified. I can turn it around. You trust me. Keep your eyes on me. Don't look at your circumstances. Don't look at what other people are doing. Don't look at what other people are feeling to tell you who I am. You remember who I am. And then you look at your circumstances, and then you look at the people through that lens. So we're going to sing a song right now, and then we're going to receive communion together because my hope is that God would speak to some of us through this song. He would fill us. In fact, raise your hand if you especially need a tangible Touch filling from God right now because of disappointment or discouragement you are battling. Okay. Lord, I ask that you would touch these men and women as we sing this song, as we receive communion. Would you touch these men and women today in a a special way, in a tangible way. And here's the good news, y'all. Even if your emotions aren't lifted... It doesn't change who God is. That doesn't change who God is. Ain't that great news? You might feel, you might walk out of here going, wow, well, I just didn't feel. It's okay. It's okay. It doesn't change who God is. But I will say this. We have access to something that the people of Israel and Moses didn't have access to. And that is the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit that Jesus poured out on his church, his followers, after he ascended into heaven. And it's that spirit of God that testifies with our spirits or or reminds our spirits that we are children of God, that we belong to him, that he's in control, that he's our good father. Now, that's for those of us who have trusted in Jesus. If you haven't, again, I would urge you to do that today so that you have access to his spirit. say something like, Jesus, I'm trusting in you. Your sacrifice is for me. I trust that you paid for me and died for me, and my life is yours. As we sing this song, take that moment. All right, the band's going to lead us, and then I'll be back up, and we will receive communion together and, and dismiss.